Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and the ever-elusive Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation, founded for the sole purpose of sharing information, ideas, and the right way to do all things trumpet. The World Trumpet Federation is quickly becoming the place for players and teachers seeking a fresh perspective, quality information, and practical ways to get better. If you need someone to say, hey, you're doing it wrong, then the World Trumpet Federation is right for you. Helpful articles, informative videos, and the home of the Open Bell podcast, the World Trumpet Federation exists to make your trumpeting life better. And by Trumpet Terms. Have you ever been sitting in a practice room and realized you don't know what any of those pesky Italian words mean? Have you ever been on a gig and realized that you are in over your head musically and intellectually? Then the Trumpet Terms app is for you. Quickly and easily gain access to the meanings for literally thousands of musical terms associated with trumpet performance. Terms like senza sordino, like a swordfish. Molto ritardando, like a slow bird losing its feathers. Poco tartellino, with confidence while correcting everyone else's grammar. 8VA osia, take it up an octave and leave it out, please. These terms and so many more can be right at your fingertips to make you look and sound like a pro. Why go to the trouble of doing your homework before the first rehearsal when you can simply use the Trumpet Terms app? I mean, you have your phone out anyway, and it's right there. Trumpet Terms can be a game changer for anyone who forgot to pay attention in Theory 101. Order today on the World Trumpet Federation website and get the companion app, Cornet Words, with the new brass banding and busking add-on for free. Again, that's Trumpet Terms, the new app that's changing the way trumpet players embarrass themselves in public. Void where prohibited by good taste. All sales are final. Not available in New Jersey. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that we have three segments. Warming up, a couple things, and no offense. We use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, what brand of cornet bull are you going to be busking today? So, yeah, more cornet stuff. You know, I talk a lot about British cornet players and the British style. It seems we, to be all you talk about. We hadn't noticed. So when I went to the Philip McCann Masterclass a couple of weeks ago, um, he was talking about the American cornet tradition. And he said, up until one point, you guys actually had a fairly strong American cornet tradition. I wonder what happened with that. And of course, a lot of people blame, um, uh, blame Sechmo for that, right? The switch to trumpet um, from cornet and that everybody, everybody went, went that direction. Um, but I decided to look up a little bit about the, the history of the American cornet player and soloists. And okay, so we have Herbert L. Clark, obviously. Yeah, he's um, good. Walter Emerson. Um, and I think we can also claim Belstedt because he came, he's German, but he came here when he was nine years old. Yeah, we um, totally claim him. Yeah. Um, uh, William Paris Chambers, also mm -hmm. American. Um, but I think some of the other famous cornet players, Jules Levy, uh, mm -hmm. Bulmer Krill, Arbuckle, uh, Liberati, 
think they're all transplants, right? Did you and say Liberace played cornet? I had no I idea he was, was a cornet player. I thought he was a piano player. He was a pianist. I thought he was a trombonist. Lots of rings. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, so I guess at that time, right before the turn of the century, um, most people were, I mean, many, many of our great musicians and artists were, were, um, were immigrants. And, and so I guess we can claim a few as, as being truly American. All those people I named also um, died in the United States. Um, so they spent most of their working lives here. So I think he's right that we do have this tradition that so may have died out. Um, and, uh, and I think maybe that's unfortunate um, uh, that we don't celebrate that more now, and we don't have that living tradition in the way the British, British and European bands do. Yeah, but don't don't you see that as well? Two things. I mean, a sort of a natural evolution of where uh, popular music went, because you know when you talk about what jazz really got started here in the early part of the 20th century, jazz then became you know with you're talking about Louis Armstrong played trumpet. So then, well, as jazz developed and people switched to trumpet, then the evolution of pop music goes that way. And changed all of that, where in England it didn't really happen in that way at all. But what's happened over the past 20 years here in the United States is we are seeing much more brass band music coming back. So are we cycling back around? Maybe. I mean, in, in 1879, 80, Liberati played lead in, uh, in the Philharmonic, New York Philharmonic, on cornet. Mm. I thought that was fascinating. Not wow. piano. Not piano. Yeah. Still, still amazing. Yeah, so, but I mean, if you think yeah. back to that time, uh, Cornet was thought of as a solo instrument, and trumpet just wasn't. Right. It wasn't really until jazz got going that people really started thinking trumpet as a solo instrument in modern times. Well, and, I, go ahead yeah, I mean, it was just a, just that the shift to trumpet. I mean, it's what we teach, right? It's what kids play in school. It's what we teach in college. You're a trumpet major. You're not a cornet major. And as a result, even going back to find those recordings, there isn't much need to perpetuate that, right? So we really, unless you're playing an older piece and then you go looking for that kind of thing that's really outweighed by all the trumpet playing and what's the market right right i mean i'm not making a ton of money as a cornet player right you've got the market cornered in new jersey <laughs> right <laughs> greater philadelphia area <laughs> you're the guy yeah you are the guy wow very anyway, cool I found, it, I found it fascinating yeah joey what do you got today all right, normally I come to you guys with a question, but I actually brought you product this week. Oh. So, um, I know I brought up Michael Wilkinson here before. He used to be principal in the San Diego Symphony and now is the principal of the Pittsburgh Symphony. Mm -hmm. He has taken it upon himself and put out a book, and, he and it is a book of trumpet solos. It's 30 trumpet solos that he has gone through and edited and put together in a nice spiral binding, which I will show you guys. Obviously, we are not a video right. podcast. So he's got 30 solos that range. They're all over the place. Um, got some Arbins, got some Clark, uh, but he's got 30 different solos that he's edited, and yeah. they're uh, and they're they're really good, you know. Yeah. Uh, so he's got yeah he's got some Arbins, he's got some, he's got both Brandt concert pieces, he's got some Clark solos, he's got the Haydn, he's got the Hummel, lots of really great solos in here for for students of all ages. Re everything's been reset. He's edited and it's clean, even with uh, the idea of what would be good for page turns. So it's set to be wow. used and wow. used well. Well done. It's yeah. really good. So I just got that this week. And, Where can uh, you get it? Uh, you can get it at bookofsolos.com. Great book. And on the website, because uh, in the book there's some historical information above each solo, give you some idea of what's going on there. And then on the website you can go look it up and they'll give you suggested recordings for each one of the solos as well to go oh, check he out. Did, he did some work. 
did some really yeah. good work, really good so, work there. I guess my, my thought on this is that I, I want to challenge this a little bit because I challenged Chopsaver and Dan, Dan Gosling sent me Chopsaver in the mail. <laughs> so I'm wondering if I say this is a terrible idea, if Micah will ship that over from Pittsburgh to my house. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking, I'm just processing all just, out with just, you guys. Just thinking out loud. Just thinking it through. Because deep down, I believe it's a really beautiful idea and it's really helpful and it's great. But and I kinda, great to have all that stuff in yeah. one place because a lot yeah, of times brilliant. when you're getting students to, to buy solos, we'll buy this one, buy this one, buy this one. Here's one book where you have 30 solos. Brilliant. And all the stuff that, of course, he, great player, great musician, he, yeah. he's recommending and endorsing these so we can trust him that this is a great collection of stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. terrific solos. And he, like Good. I said, he's gone through and edited them. So they're, they're retypes that... So they're clean. They look really good. Yeah. The piano parts and everything? The piano parts aren't with this book. I guess I should ask about that. I wonder if they're available separately. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I haven't done cool. that much research. I was just playing through. Looking, looking through them all and going, oh, wow. I've never seen a clean version of this solo before. This is so nice. So all solos, like, so he doesn't put all four of the Clark studies in the back or anything like that. <laughs> right? It's just solos. <laughs> This is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> you repedaled the piano part to the Wazen. <laughs> but it Beautiful. is it's, but terrific book, bookofsolos.com. Mike has done a great job with this. You should definitely check it out. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I brought a, this is kind of a gadgety kind of idea today. It's a real trumpet geek sort of thing, but I want to talk about You're this You're in thing. the right place. I'm in the right place. <laughs> I want to talk about this thing I do and then have you guys tell me that I'm crazy. It's a trumpet voodoo thing. Well, okay, thank you. Thanks for that. Moving on. All right, next. Uh, I want to talk about bottom valve cap torque settings because I tweak my bottom valve caps in a very specific way. So, yes, I clock my mouthpiece. We talked about We've this. We've talked about this. So the first valve bottom cap is as tight as I can make it to try to help keep that fourth line D up in tune. The middle one is set just neutral, just evenly because it doesn't really have an impact on anything and none of those notes really need too much help. And the third one I keep loose to keep the upper G and the G on top of the staff kind of settled. Okay, so I have questions before I go into the level of craziness that you this are. This has changed the way I'm going to function in the green room the next time we play a show. <laughs> First, you're taking you the stickers off his mutes, and now touch, you're going to mess not with his valve. touch my bottom valve caps. I never okay, should have so revealed this. When you say tight and neutral, I understand uh -huh. what loose means, but I'm right. not sure what you mean by tight and neutral. Like, can you not move it? First one's on there pretty good. Like I snug it down pretty good. Snug it. Did you just use just snug as a verb? Snug yes. it. I, snug I don't think it. snug is a verb. Well, then don't travel to Western Pennsylvania because it is. <laughs> In the great one four, you could snug that a little wow. bit more. Yeah. And then so neutral just means you just go till just, it just, just catches yeah, and that's it. Yeah, it. it's catches and it's it's there and it's But it's if it's too loose on the third, you're going to get some noise like Brian's vowels. Not, not that loose. <laughs> I don't want to sound like Brian. How do you no, know no what your time no is otherwise? Clack, 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 clack. Well, I will tell you, the, the, the first conversation I ever had about this was with Dave Monette. And I know Dave can sometimes be a, a, a controversial figure in the trumpet world. I like Dave Monette an awful lot and have found mm -hmm. him to be a, a really great guy to talk to, a very knowledgeable guy, and a, a lot of fun, right? And he certainly makes, he makes some tremendous stuff out there. Some people seem to have a 
a real problem with him, and some people totally swear by him. It seems to be an all or nothing. I like Dave quite a bit. Mm -hmm. He talked to me about this exact thing, because on, on some of his horns, I'm not sure if he's still doing this, he actually has the rubber stoppers on the bottom valve caps. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Just so you don't get them too tight. Because I that asked is. him, I said, well, what are those for? He says, oh, if you get these things too tight, it screws up everything. And <laughs> I don't think he's wrong. I, I actually think he's right about this, where there's a, a point of the optimal position for these things. And as we've discussed before, everything can make a difference. Right. Marginal so, gains, right. Right, so the idea of if you just lock those things up, it's perhaps you know, stopping vibration or moving some tuning around. And if they're too mm -hmm. loose, they're not holding anything in place and there's just, it's rattling a little too free. So finding that right place for right. them is, is certainly a good idea. The other thing I've done, just to take this one step further, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I have a slightly heavier cap on the bottom of the third valve. Now, I know this is good because on the now B we flat. Can, mm -hmm. I, I also, when I was uh, trying out horns for Steve Shires, you know, uh, we were trying out a bunch of B flats and B flats and finding one that was pretty good. And it was me and John Rommel, my colleague I teach with here. We were trying out, and we usually agree on equipment. So we're playing back and forth for each other and talking about what we hear and what we feel and what we th think it sounds like. And we both came to the same conclusion. This is good, but there's something not quite there. And Steve says, hold on just a second. Mm -hmm. Takes off the third valve bottom, puts a different one on that's a different material. Right. He says, yep. play this now. Now, John believes less of anything that I do, and I don't believe in anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John went first and went, huh, try this. And I tried it, and both of us went, yeah, that's definitely better. Yeah. You know, and this gets to, you know, like uh, I think one of the first people I know, Jason Carter, who now teaches down at the uh, University of Arizona. He's a trumpet teacher there. We were in grad school together, and he had a colloquio that uh, when we were in grad school that had like the extra length on mm -hmm. the valve bottom. Yeah. So yes. it was like maybe two inches longer yeah. on just the yeah. third one. And yep. I looked at that and said, so what do you got there, Jason? He goes, no, listen, <laughs> this is serious. This makes a difference. It locks this in, puts this in, holds the whole thing. And I was thinking listen, this guy plays great and he sounds dynamite, but boy, this is crazy town. But I tried with and without. Makes it's the difference. Different. So not just the material, well, but also the size. And that, you can really get a grip on that and use your armbusher. You know? <laughs> well, if we're going to start making fun of that, we've got to go to our boy, J.C., well, JC with yeah, the he's got Stombi like a spaceship on the bottom of each the first resonance, and the third. Let's call them resonance spheres on yeah. the bottom. So JC is the reason. Actually, on my C trumpet, I use a lighter third valve bottom cap. How is JC the reason for that? Because I first brought my C trumpet, and Brian and I, you, you and I were together in Boston when we went to Shires that yeah. day with Mark, and we yeah. tried out, and I put my C trumpet together, and I loved it. And I played it in the first Trombomundi rehearsal, and JC turned to me and he says, sounds like a flugelhorn. <laughs> and so <laughs> I thought, I better brighten this up a little bit, right? I should try to put it. So on that one, I experimented because it is, it is a you know, rather warm and resonant horn. And I keep the lighter one on there, and that seemed to kind of ease things up a little bit. So just a little voodoo with the bottom valve caps. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not sure that's voodoo. I think that's just one of those aspects that I think for lots and lots and lots of years was just completely overlooked because right. it, watching the, the significant difference that the third one makes in just the sound of the horn is sort of amazing when you consider that's the least mm -hmm. used valve. Yeah, 
But the bottom uh, of that cap seems to do an awful lot. Now, Brian, your your valve caps on the bottom they thread the other direction, right? Because they're yep. British. Opposite. Is that true? Yeah. The opposite exactly direction. Right. I just want to be not the other hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's using the other hemisphere of your brain, right? Yes. It's <laughs> like if you're left-handed, that's your right. You know, it's your right brain. Uh, well, listen, you guys. Guess what? What? Let's get ready for another episode of Backboard Bingo. Oh yes. I'm ready. And boys, you're really going to appreciate today. A lot of thought went into this because it's backboard bingo, the Ah Bach edition. Oh my gosh. Did you just <laughs> quote MASH? I did, and I'm out. <laughs> Do I get any points for knowing the reference? Yes. Impressive. You get, you get five, there. Brian gets 10. All right, question one. I hate this game. In 1918, the Vincent Bach Corporation was founded. Born in Baden, near Vienna, the company's founder was A. Bachmann Steinvinsen, B. Wilhelm Stomenbach. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, I thought I could get through it. <laughs> C. Vincennes Schrotenbach, D. Wolfgang B. Stradivarius. E. Johann Sebastian Schmidt. I'm going with C. C. Vincennes Schrotenbach. That's what that's what I'm going with. Brian. Yeah, I think it's. I definitely agree. It's C. It's C. Good work, guys. Yeah, yeah that's his real name. But I mean, we I know... really was leaning towards the Stomenbach. Wilhelm Stomenbach sounds <laughs> Wilhelm. like a better. brilliant instrument. That's maker. a better name. Like I think you should change your name to that tomorrow. <laughs> Okay. The office adjusted. No. Question yeah. two. Well, I didn't hear. Were there what? were there points awarded? I, are yeah. you just going to rush right over no. that? I'm going to ten ten points each. How's Ooh. that? Oh, wow. Ten points each. I'm feeling good about that. Now this this next one. And here's the thing. Going into this, I really I try to make this as even as possible because Brian, of course, is a Bach artist. That's right. He's an ah Bach ah, artist. Bach <laughs> artist. You're welcome. Question wow. two, what was Vincent Bach's inspiration to venture into the instrument fabrication business? A, his background as a machinist. B, a severe clarinet allergy. <laughs> C, bad experience with a repairman. D, it's better than playing the euphonium. Well, I, I mean, it, it's My clear that it's better me. than playing a euphonium. That's clear. But I'm not sure if that was the inspiration, even though that is true. It is true. So I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going A. You're going to go A. His background is a machinist. Yeah. Brian? The best answer is B, but I'm going A. <laughs> <laughs> well, but look. Brian and his ever-loving hatred of clarinets. That could be <laughs> anyone. I personally have a terrible severe clarinet allergy. Uh, sorry, boys, but it was a bad experience with a repairman in 1918 oh. in Pittsburgh. Oh, it's your fault. Had a, it's my totally my fault. <laughs> was it you? Had, no, it wasn't me. I knew you were going to say that. You I was were there, though. I was there. This That's how happen. you know you were there. Word got yeah, out. Yes. yes. I was in the shop the day it happened. <laughs> right, um, right before the... the... <laughs> yeah, so had dropped his mouthpiece, had a problem with the mouthpiece, gave it to a repairman who completely botched it. And then he was like, of course, thought I could do better than this. And so he did. 
we all played Bach 37s as a result. That's right. <laughs> he, to be fair to him, he did a lot better than that. He did a lot better than that. All right. Uh, boy, you both got it right. Ten points each. We're tied at 20. We both got it wrong. Oh, no, you did. Yeah, you said his background is machinist. I get 20. You have 10 each. I'll take 20. Is he playing? A th Bill's playing? I, I only play when I can win. I don't understand how he gets points out of this. I don't understand Just, either. It's my game. Okay. In what year did Vincent Bach move his company from Mount Vernon, New York, to Elkhart, Indiana? Oh. I can give you multiple choice, or I can just let you try to pick. Can we go? How about we try and pick, and whoever gets closest? Oh, I like that. Is that okay? That's good. That's like the now, way. Brian, they do you want it. to go first or second? Since that's really I, the I way they the do it in rules. bingo, right? That's the way that's done in bingo, isn't it? No, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> bingo is not like horseshoes. It's not who's closest. <laughs> You either have the number or you don't. Yeah. 65. I don't think you know what bingo is. I know. this. We're playing bingo right now, and I, I wrote think it. You know. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. What did Brian, you say, Brian? 1965. I was going to say 67. Mm -hmm. Well, 65 is closer to 65 than 67, so Brian oh, wins. Boom. Nailed it. Boom. He's a and here's the artist. problem. It's <laughs> Question three is worth 25 points. What? I, yeah. I wish I'd known that beforehand. I would have Googling that while we were talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, before that, he was on 85th Street in New York and then uh, starting in 1918. Then he went to 41st Street, then to the Bronx in 1928 and then Mount Vernon in 53 and then to Elkhart in 65. Oh. I was two when they moved to Elkhart. You were two when he started in 1918. Please. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Question four. We're all familiar with the Bach Stradivarius model. We are. Personally, I'm partial to the number 37, right? In fact, my Shire's Model A was built using a Mount Vernon Bach 37 mandrel. We have probably all played a 37 at some point, right? Okay. I, but, I have at least one in my office. Yes. All as, as well as a Shire's A. As, yes, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yeah. The, with, so the Stradivarius is really well known. Which of the following is also a name of a Vincent Bach Corporation trumpet product? A. Jupiter, B, Corolla, D. <laughs> Wait, you just went A, B, D. Is there no C? No, C. C, Altissimo, D, Minerva. A, Jupiter, B, Corolla, C, Altissimo, D, Minerva. I'm going for D, the Minerva. Brian? Is, is also a product? Yeah, it was a trumpet. So here's was. the Stradivarius model. This is the... Corolla. Would you like to play the Stradivarius or the Corolla? Brian, don't answer that question. And Joey, you can answer it. Is it tan? Yeah, he doesn't yes. want that. He, he, yeah. He'll buy it, but he doesn't want it. <laughs> so what do you think? Jupiter, Corolla, Altissimo, or Minerva? Uh, Jupiter. Jupiter. Brian, and uh, Joey, you said? I said Minerva. He said Minerva. Yeah, well, Joey's right. It's Minerva. Yeah. Yeah, but this one's only worth five points, so it really doesn't what? matter, Brian. So it's good. We're totally good. Yeah. Question think, four. Question four is never worth a lot. I know. We need it before we go on. Brian, Jupiter's <laughs> a terrible guess because there is a Jupiter trumpet now. They wouldn't yes. have chosen yeah. a name of a pre-existing Bach trumpet. Doesn't he get docked for a bad guess? No. Not in bingo. That's not how bingo works. No, but this isn't how bingo <laughs> works. You think bingo is about being closest. It's not. You either have the number my, or don't. When you I'm say I-35, if I have I-34, I don't get bingo. Oh, there's no letters. These are multiple choice. 
You, this has not been good. This is outrageous. I need Brian, to talk to your supervisor. Brian, what were you going to say? I have say? my card right here. I have my card right here. Yeah. Gonna... You right. got a card? Under the B, Minerva. Okay. Question five. Two-part question. Uh-oh. On which of his Bach trumpets does Brian Appleby Weinberg generate the highest decibel level? <laughs> And to what piece of large equipment does that decibel level numerically equate? A. Oh, we so have you think choice? about you think about what instrument because it's a two-part question. So you got to say what horn. So Brian's blank trumpet. Okay. Sounds or generates the same amount of decibels as, as a, a locomotive. Get, oh, we get choices for the <laughs> multiple choice the question. B hovercraft. Okay. C jet engine. D, 1990 beige Toyota Corolla with no muffler and a manual transmission. Okay, this is easy. Uh, Brian, stop talking. Brian, Joey's going to tell you what you think. Uh, let me tell you how you sound. <laughs> so one, it's obviously his B-flat trumpet. And the answer is, it's a jet engine. <laughs> wow. Brian, what do you think? It's the C trumpet. And? Kind of like a locomotive. Wow. Well, Brian got closer. It is a C trumpet. Joey, I just want to reference Vuelta, and that's the only word I need to say. Okay, that's fair. On the upcoming record. <laughs> that's fair. The record that's about to be released. Just go yeah. right to that track, and you'll know that I'm right. It's a C trumpet. And actually, the right answer is Hovercraft, because it's a British company, Saunders and Rowe. <laughs> Later known as BHC. But now listen. That's our five questions. But like any normal game of bingo, it's time for the daily double. The daily double. The and daily double. There's no daily double in bingo. There always is a daily double in bingo. You don't know what bingo right. is. Well, you need to snug up your knowledge of bingo. <laughs> you need to learn that snug right. is not a verb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is the birth year of renowned trumpet patron Stephen Bale Weinberg? The what? birth year of renowned trumpet patron Stephen Bale Who is Weinberg. renowned? Steve? Is this some relation to Brian? Who's that? Any guesses? Hold on. Brian's tech. He's typing right now. I need Brian to put down his phone. <laughs> you look it, look it up. Hold on. Hands Joey, up. I need to answer. Everyone's hands are up. Hand check. Stephen. Stephen Bale Weinberg. How do you spell Bale in this context? B-A-Y-L-E is the correct. Stephen is S-T-E-P-H-E-N. This sounds like a British person. Middle name Bale, B A B A Y L E. This should be a V, and it should be B A L E. This is not. I, okay. I don't know what to tell you. This is the. This is the it. birth year. The birth year of this supporter of the trumpet, this patron of the trumpet, Stephen Bale Weinberg. Bro, Joey, what's your guess? Nineteen forty-six. Brian. It's nineteen forty-six. It's a tie. <laughs> that I is demand, incredible. I demand bonus points for guessing that, <laughs> that correctly. That is absolutely yeah, incredible. You should get bonus points, and I'm going to award them because Stephen Bale Weinberg is Brian's father. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> there really isn't anything he doesn't know, is there? This is next level. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what well, were you texting? It looked like you were looking crowd, it up. He was looking up his father's birthday. <laughs> my dad's birthday. His own father's birthday. And as much as it pains me, this round of backboard bingo goes to Joey Tartel. Oh yes. my God! It's finally happened. I'd like finally to take this opportunity to retire from to backboard bingo. Thank my mother. <laughs>
<laughs> that brings to a conclusion back for bingo. Which is amazing because, Joe, you know a lot about a lot of things, but clearly you don't know anything about bingo. <laughs> wow, that's I'm in shock. That's amazing. The crowd is That's stunned. amazing, especially since when Brian first texted me the answer to this question yesterday, <laughs> he had the year wrong. <laughs> See, he didn't know, but I knew. Yeah, he said the wrong year first. That's incredible. Yeah, that was amazing. I'm How so did you do impressed. that? Come on, guys. Wow. Come on, he's all just all knowing. He knows everything. Wow. <laughs> I just think I know everything. It's very, it's subject. very freeing. It's very freeing. But, <laughs> it's a subject we've discussed that he doesn't know something about. <laughs> all right. Well, now it's going to be hard to beat that, but it's time for a couple of things. One of the things we all love about teaching trumpet at the university level is the idea of the mentor-apprentice structure, the opportunity to lead someone through the very same system we ourselves experienced. So looking back upon our own experiences gives us access to what we considered weapons-grade empathy. How's that for a term? It's the a good deep, term. The deepest level of understanding to share with our students as they embark on the start of their career. So let's talk about the role of empathy in the care and feeding of young trumpet cubs. Absolutely. All right. Now, normally you throw these things out and we hop on top of them. Right. But Bill, I think this is one that's nearer and dearer to you. I think <laughs> you should start off. I want you to I want you to bat lead off on this one. All right. I yeah, this is the thing that I embrace about the whole teaching thing. And I think as teachers, we're we're put in this incredible position to we access all these things we've talked about confluence on the show before right about considering all the people that have fed into us and all the people that have helped us along the way and then we you know we talk about putting ourselves in a position to help students in any way we can and i think the reason that we're able to do that to such a degree is because they're doing the exact same thing that we did so we can recall what all those those failures are, what those victories are. We recall the things along the way that, you know, helped propel us and help move us forward. And we're also, you know, we also, what it was, it's easier for you guys because you're much closer in age to our students than I am, but. A lot closer. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you recall what it was like to be there at that time and to go through those things. So, um, and I don't think, what I want to start off by saying is, I don't think when I say weapons, grain empathy, I don't mean that you just, you make it easy, right? I think it, you know, we're not trying to make it easier and we're not no. just trying to just give in, but I think it means using the context we have to support them and show the way. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I start every year when I have the first master class with all of the students at IU. We do those on Monday nights. And I start every year and I just did this recently and said, I want to tell you what I think my job is. And here's what it is. I'm in a club that's called professional trumpet players. And my job is to help you join the club. Now you have to do all the work. I can't just invite you in, but I will do everything I can to help you join, but you have to be the one to join. And it's one of those things that, you know, you know it when you see it, when you're in or you're not. So the difference, and I think where you're talking about empathy as a teaching tool, is that a lot of times the old school that we grew up in, and mm. especially not just the generation in front of us, but the generation older than that, this wasn't thought of in the same way, especially in our uh, and our sort of jobs. Then it was like, I am the master, I will sit here and judge you, and you if you're not good enough, then I'm just going to boot you, and that's just the way it works. And it was much more of a hard line where mm. 
there certainly is an amount of success that can come from just setting a bar and then saying, you know, reach it or don't. But I don't think it's a great way to teach to the most students because we have students of a variety of levels, from a variety of backgrounds, from a variety of different situations, coming at it from a, a variety of different places. So you've got to, what we do is we are one-on-one. -on -one. We get to meet each mm. one of those students where they are and try and get them to where they want to go. And if you just sit there and say, well, you just got to play better, that's not enough. That's not enough to do that. You have to go in and, and really not just meet the students where they're playing, but with who they are as people. Right. And if you don't address that part of it, you lose, you lose a certain number, a, amount of students that just will, without that kind of attention, cannot succeed. So it's, so it's vital to what we do, especially in the one-on-one -on -one setting. Yeah, and, and I say too, like, you know, you could tell some student come in and they're just ready to go, horn out of the case. How's, you know, I'll, I'll always start with, how's it going? How's life in the dorms? Everything cool at home? You know, you want to make sure that you're taking care of everything. And I know teachers who are against that. I've heard pe teachers come out and say, I'm not here to deal with that. I'm here to teach the trumpet. Right. Well, my, but my point of view is if you don't get through that other stuff or they're dealing with that other stuff, you're never going to get to the trumpet anyway. Or you're right. not going to get to it in a meaningful way that, you know, that matters for sure. You're just not going to get there. Yeah, Bill, and I think you do this on a, on a level that, um, to be honest, is enviable. Um, you're able to connect with your students in a way um, and based on their background, and you really get to know them in a way I think doesn't happen in a lot of college mm -hmm. studios. Um, and I think it's, it is super important. Um, I'm not sure that the old school teachers all were like that. I mean, there were a lot of stories about how giving and understanding and kind and nurturing um, old school teachers were. Um, I don't mean to paint, paint with a broad either. brush, but it was certainly much more common at least yeah, two was, generations ago. Yeah, and, and I think um, there's so much information coming at us now, um, emotional health, mental health, mm. um, and uh, there's so much, I think, stress students are under, and they're much more aware of how they're dealing with stress, and they're much more willing to talk about it. I feel like in my studio, they're much more willing to talk about it. But I think it's true. If you can't help them deal with these things, um, you won't get to a deep right. understanding of how they're going to play Hindemith or what Hindemith means or the ambulance sound in during the war you know what mm -hmm. that means to them they're <laughs> going to they're going to have a lot of um a, a lot of emotional walls to that um and so if you can help them solve a lot of problems obviously it's not alone you can't do this alone i'm not equipped to to psychoanalyze anyone but i've certainly um enlisted the help of, uh, of colleagues sure. at school who are professionals um, to help people work through things. And yeah, that opens up a whole world of possibilities um, for students um, to be successful, to be um, really heartfelt musicians, and to be successful trumpet players. And again, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in, I mean, I am interested in how they play the trumpet, but that's almost secondary. I want them to be great musicians and play great music and be great educators um, and be able to teach music, not just the trumpet or the instrument. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's super important. It also is important to um, what happens when they leave. What kind of experience did they have? Did they feel welcome? Did they feel um, mm -hmm. helped, aided, cherished, 
understood, listened to. Um, not just did I push them to play Gabrielli um, in a, with a certain style or play the play Petrushka in a certain. I've been listening to a lot of Petrushka this week and a lot of Charlier this week, and um, yeah, it's great and I enjoy it. Um, and I want them to do it a certain way, and um, but I want them to invest themselves in themselves musically. But if there's emotional or financial issues, I, mean, I had a student who worked. Um, who was literally working till three thirty in the morning, a, a second oh. job, and then walking home um, because wow. they didn't drive, um, and then trying to get up for an eight o'clock class, and then two hours later trying to be in a trumpet lesson. That's a you know if if some, that's a different kind of relationship you have to help. Yeah, with. you should factor that in. Yeah. Well, let me say that I do appreciate the kind words from both of you. I'm really glad I brought this up. This is really wonderful affirmation today. I'm gonna have to push this button. <laughs> more but you know isn't it interesting right because the fact is is that this is part of their music making right like whoever they are whatever they're yeah. dealing with whatever that whatever that means to them is the kind of musician they're going to be in um you know as musicians we're we're capable of experiencing the highest highs and emotionally which means we're also capable of experiencing the lowest lows i mean that cuts right. both ways um and so yeah that's a level of this to deal with uh, one, I think for the teachers that are listening, I could think of two I want to remind them of. You remember what it was like to be a first year student in college? Do you remember what it was like to sit in that really great ensemble for the first time or to not make the top band your first time around? You or know? when you're thinking about auditions, and I have this when I talk to students who are coming here saying, hey, I'm thinking about auditioning at IU. I said, okay, I need to tell you this because I remember being 17 auditioning for college and the thought process is, okay, you're trying to keep me out and it's me against the committee. You kind of have that an antagonistic <laughs> setup of like, right. I'm trying to get in and you guys are the, the wall to keep me out. And that's not it. And I right. try and say, listen, I remember this and the memory of being that age becomes really, really important. And I think a lot of people just tend to let that go. But it's right. really important if you want to connect with, with, uh, with young students to remember being a young student. So I say, listen, every person that walks in to audition, we are hoping sounds great for two reasons. One, it's a more pleasurable experience, but primarily we want good students. If we say no to everyone that walks in, we don't have jobs. So we mm -hmm. want you to sound great. You want to sound great. We want you to come here. You're expressing some interest in coming here. We're on the same team to yeah. try and change that dynamic because no one ever said this to me at the time and boy, I wish they had. So I'm trying to make that experience better. You know, uh, there are lots of experiences where people think, well, since I went through it and it was terrible, other people should have to go through it because I did, which I find to be an unbelievably flawed sort of judgment because based on that, if we look at that technologically, no one should be able to have cell phones because we didn't have cell phones growing up, <laughs> which is crazy, right? right? So since I had a bad experience, everyone should. No, we should constantly be trying to make this better. And back to your original point, what Brian is talking about there, certainly we are not mental health professionals. Right. But we are, one of the few places in the college environment where we meet students one-on-one. -on -one. So we can be a good first step to, can I connect you with, do you, can I help you with? We're in a large classroom setting, lots of students don't even have that opportunity. So we should certainly take that part very seriously. Sure. That, that we have, always have the students' best interests, not just as trumpet players, not just as musicians, but as human beings. 
that's our primary concern is to make sure that they're growing in all of those areas. Well, I think, I think about the, the jury process, right? At the end of the semester, everyone's got to play a jury. And I think about the way I have used that process for myself and that they've already heard, they know what I have had to say. And I'm sure to make notes about how pleased I am with their playing or what they could have done and all that. But, but I also take some time in that commentary to say, I appreciate their contributions in ensembles. I'm glad they're here. I'm thrilled with the growth that they've experienced in this, that, or whatever. We have opportunities, I think, at every turn to send messages, right? Really affirming positive messages. And I know I tend to be an encourager and a cheerleader more than I tend to drop the hammer. And I probably, there are times that I've looked back and said I should have dropped the hammer just a little bit sooner than I did maybe, but I'm trying to be like, no, let's go. You can do it, you know? <laughs> um, but, but I think if you, if you really consider that, um, there's, there's an opportunity there always to deliver a really positive affirming message. Um, you know, you guys know I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers Right. And so I remember when Mike Tomlin first got the job. Despite and that, we still like you. I know. Yeah. Right. And so um, Mike Tomlin first got the job and I was super excited because I'm a Mike Tomlin fan. And and one of the uh, announcers said to him or one of the someone was interviewing and said, hey, I noticed you talking to such a just a player out there at, at midfield. Was that just small talk or what? And Tomlin said, when you're the guy holding the whistle, there's no such thing as small talk. <laughs> like wow i mean that's brilliant but an awareness of whatever he says to his players in any context the same with us with our students we have an opportunity to let them know that we care and that 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 that's part of the context in which we work to make them great musicians and, it all counts and what you started with is important but brian's brought this up before i want to put these two things together that uh, brian's brought this up before where students learn better through positive reinforcement Yes. The negative, that this is just the studies are in. So the idea of, of telling you no, 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 no is destructive to education, and we know that. But what you're saying before, not that we're lowering a bar. No. Right? We're still holding the students accountable while being supportive. It's both of those things. You have to do both of those things at the same time. So I think my students know what I do almost every time. Somebody plays something through, and I'll say, all right, so how do you think that went, or what did you think? Right. Well, I think I'm like, mm, and then we'll have a discussion. Here's what I'm hearing. This is definitely getting better. What I'm looking for is. Right. Not, yeah. not that was terrible, but here's where growth comes from. This is in, it's encouraging while still maintaining, yes, here's where the growth comes from. There's a bar there. And I, I, I'm either that was, and sometimes, you know, we hear something really sparkling. I'm like, wow, that, there we go. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's what we're looking for. That's really good. Let's turn the page. Right. You know, what? Well, because I had some old school teachers, right? Now, I studied with Mel Broyles for a year. He was principal trumpet at the Met. He was, he was spectacular. He was really, really great. Uh, very supportive, everything. Um, Gil Johnson was a little more old school of the same generation. I remember him sitting across the room and just looking at me saying, you know, you just can't play trumpet like that. Now, I found him to be a warm and giving man. I, I don't want to say anything bad. He's one of the, he was one of my teachers and one of the reasons all the positive things I take in my trumpet playing, a lot of that goes with Gil. But I do remember this. We were playing a top tone study. And one week it was top tones number two, and I folded. It's not good. And Gil appropriately let me have it. So the next week I came in loaded. I had this thing dialed in, right? So I played this through, and I finished. And I am thinking as I finish, all right, 
it's time for you to let me know that I did that well. Like that's what's in my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Gil Johnson, without even without even flinching, turns the page and picks up his handheld metronome and says, "You know what I remember about number three? Number three is as fast as my metronome goes, which is 208." Right. <laughs> so he puts his metronome on the stand, going, "Okay, let's hear number three now." And uh-huh. I'm like, "But so I sight read number three at 208." And he says, yeah, hmm, that still needs some work. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I, don't, I didn't find him to be negative in any way. I mean, th- he was certainly a very positive influence, but it was a different kind of communication yeah. style that I think was more common to his generation than I think is appropriate now. Yeah, when I, when I first got to Messiah, so this is 24 years ago, there was a, a professor here, Bill Higgins, Dr. Bill Higgins, who was a woodwinds person, music ed person, and ultimately was my mentor. Like when I first got here, I, I watched everything he did because he was the most demanding teacher and was relentless and was detail oriented and cut no one, any slack for anything, any reason. And the students loved him. Right. Yeah. There, it wasn't like he was mean, you know, because we often hear that, right? If somebody's really demanding, he had it figured out. And ultimately, and I just kind of watched the whole thing go and I realized they knew he cared about them. And as a result, then anything he asked them to do was within reason, even though the bar was always high for right. everyone and, and including himself. That makes, yeah. that makes all the difference. Yeah. And, and so teacher, that, our band yeah, go teachers are the same deal. You know, right. if you're in the band room, if you're, if you're not, holding students to a standard they're going to see through that they're going to know you've given up on them and that's Mm -hmm. as a teacher that's the worst thing you can ever do Um, you can just accept what they're doing you you never accept accept the level you the level keeps going up they've reached this level there's another level there's another level and you keep encouraging that and I, and I agree. I mean, these are different times, right? Students are not wired for the same thing that, that we were wired for when we were in school back in the day. It's just completely different. You know, you go, you know that I go out and do non-trumpet related activities. That would be um, turtlenecking. Turtlenecking. And turtlenecking with a baton. You and, bring um, a baton gig bag? Yeah, I don't have one. I'm t- I've told you this a thousand times if I've told you once. This. I, don't believe I just put them in my trumpet case. I take my trumpet case. Anyway. You know, the old school district region band setup was, you know, you get in on Wednesday night and you'd rehearse Thursday nine to nine and Friday nine to nine with a concert and Saturday morning rehearse again in a Saturday afternoon concert. No, they're just not, students just aren't wired for it. Other, other things happen too quickly. And so I think in that trying to use the time and trying to use the structure as the thing that sets the bar doesn't work. It has to be the quality of the experience itself. And that has to be different. I mean, I, I think it's challenging for educators today because you are trying to deliver quality and you're trying to hold a standard, but it's much harder to do so. There's no doubt I, about it. I don't think it's harder to do so. I think we're only realizing that the way we used to do it, although there were times it could be effective, I think it was flawed then. I don't think it was mm. a great idea that when we were growing up, the idea, we're going to rehearse eight hours a day for three days and then put on a concert. Who thinks right. that's a good idea ever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, and I know there's still things that operate that way, but that was not sure. a great. That was not a great setup then. No, like n- I mean, nobody's hardwired for that at 16. There are just people that survive it. And well, I there think were, that's the difference. There were fewer. You're welcome. Choices. Nice. Good Thank work. you. Good. Yeah. yeah. Although we're, although the news is in, fewer and lesser, interchangeable. Right, <laughs> fewer and less, interchangeable. Never but the there fewer. were few, fewer choices for students then, and so this is what they did. Right, they weren't in like 
how many different activities. So they just went, they went with the flow, you know, with all that well, stuff. That was the, probably the biggest significant uh, difference is that when, when we were growing up, if you were going to be in band, that means you could not be in this or that or this. Mm. Where now, at least the places that I've been around, there's more an allowance of, yeah, you can do more than one large-scale extracurricular activity. There's more an allowance for that. You know, when you see kids who are, you know, in the, in the marching band and also on the track team, like when I grew up, you, that wasn't possible. You had to make that choice and then make a larger commitment to one thing than make a more... Um, varied commitment which is probably better educationally especially at a young age mm -hmm. for students that want to have that experience and they now are allowed to it's just a right. better setup now yeah and they're well, specializing much earlier and so they're doing like if they play soccer on their their high school team they're also on a club team three days a week after after their regular soccer team um so that and they're specializing in that and then there's much faster burnout mm -hmm. rates um and uh, much higher injury rates just to clarify what you said for Joey, because soccer, it, Joey doesn't think that's a sport. Oh. I think it's a sport. It's not like golf, which is not a sport. It's a competition. <laughs> it's a uh, game. It's a game, right? You game. can compete at there it. But go. soccer's a sport. I just don't, I think it's a dumb one. Like, use your hands. It's why we have them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to circle back to something. Joey, you know, this is interesting because I obviously here at Messiah I primarily teach undergraduates, right? Mm -hmm and get them ready to go to the grad programs that they want to go to. That's, that's what I consider my job to be. You're looking at it from the other side because you're primarily mostly dealing with grad students. And so the message that I'm delivering to them on the way through so that they're not afraid of that panel sitting there is, look, everyone needs graduate students, right? right? right. I mean, this is, this is the way to, you know, to try to prop them up and say, you have something of value. This is an opportunity for you to go and display that right? And convince them that you should be there. But remember that on the other side, that they need students. Yes, we want students. We want right. really good, interested, you know, students to be here. Otherwise, we've got nothing to do. We, we've talked about this before, too. You know, who gets to do a master's degree? And this is a topic for another time, right? Oh, are you, are you like, previewing? I'm pre- I'm foreshadowing? foreshadowing just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, this. Yeah. It's just like the, the episode of Jeopardy we've got coming up. But you know what? More on that later. Anyway. <laughs> Are we doing Jeopardy? No, I, I know how that works. Jeopardy. I'm working on some Jeopardy. Are we going to have to ask in the form of a question? You know, Jeopardy, like with the cards and the letters. <laughs> and numbers. And I, numbers, yeah. I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> yeah, Jeopardy, you will have to answer in the form of a question. Wow. I've okay, got, now I'm, I'm working excited. on it. I'm well, excited. you know, episode 20 is coming up and I think we need something special for episode 20. Definitely. And I'll just go ahead and put it out there now. Joey's Jeopardy. Oh, there I like is. this. Now we're right. getting somewhere. Joey Jeopardy could make its appearance at episode 20. You might awesome. get a second win. I, yeah. You might get win number two. 1946. Yeah. And now I don't <laughs> remember what I was saying. Oh yeah, I do. Um, you know, so while we're being the mutual admiration society today, you know, I, I've seen this with you guys too, with your students. And here's, here's what I know that it is from the time I've spent with you and, and our friendship and all that. Students recognize authenticity, right? They know that you authentically, sincerely care about them and what they're doing. And for that reason, they'll follow you and they'll listen to you and they'll excel and get better. I think that's, that's the part of it. And I think empathy provides an opportunity to do that to be authentic. To, this is absolutely to, universal. You cannot fool students. Right. Students know, students know if, if you're, uh, 
if you're phoning it in, students know if you don't care and they know if you do care and they know because then, like you're saying, if your students know that you care about them, they are going to do that work. Right. They're going to be honest. You be honest with them, they'll be honest with you. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a good one, I think. I'm glad we were able to get to this one today. I think, uh, I think it's important. Part of what we do, we, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in teaching the trumpet and teaching the notes and all that, and I, I think it's important that we continue to consider the whole person. Are you trying to say it's not all about the trumpet with you? Well, it's not all about the trumpet with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's never really been about the trumpet. <laughs> uh, well, and that could only mean that we get to move on now and talk about no offense. Gadgets, gadgets, and more gadgets. The market is flooded with attachments, enhancements, advancements to make us sound better. Of course, all this assumes that it's just employing one of these inventions will take the place of actual practice. It's like magic. Today's topic <laughs> is, you're going to like this one, I think, the tone intensifier. Yes. Right? I just saw an ad for this, and I don't know, I don't know this company at all, and they're clearly not one of our sponsors, and after today, I'm sure never will be but um it sounds like this incredible thing but i do have one question about the tone intensifier what if your tone sucks <laughs> does <laughs> i'm just curious so does you it can in, ramp up the intensity of suck in, just curious no offense what happens then <laughs> I, I think it's pretty clear what happens then that uh if your tone sucks no gadget in the world's gonna fix that. Yeah. So the die of uh, the idea of intensifying that is probably a bad one. So the the ad you saw w is this a, a mouthpiece thing? Yeah, is it's this one a of lead these. Pipe thing, oh, the thing you put on the mouthpiece and you yeah, know, and then it in, it intensifies your tone. I do remember one of the first times I ever saw this. This would have been late '80s, early '90s. I was still in the army. I was in the Jazz Masters. We were on tour, and this band director after our concert. Hey, Joey, can I talk to you? I got this thing I got to show you. And so he brings me into his office, and he takes his trumpet out, and he has like a normal mouthpiece, and he plays like a two-octave C scale. Then he takes his mouthpiece off, and he puts this little thing over it. Mm. He says, now check this out. And then he puts up, and he plays. And both times sounded like, I don't know, uh... And a mediocre eighth-grade trumpet player, I think is what he sounded like. <laughs> and, and I went... Huh, so uh, what do you got there? He goes, I mean, you can just hear the difference, right? And I said, I, I'm not sure how big a difference I'm really hearing. I'm trying to be nice. I don't know this guy, you know. He's like, oh, this is what it is. This is tone intensifier. It just locks everything in. And once you go up in the upper register, it's just, I thought you'd really dig it, you know, been watching you play lead and everything. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times people are just looking for anything. And even though I'm listening, I'm right on the other side of the bell going, I don't hear it. Mm. He Very wants to hear it. Grader. He wants he wants to hear it, so he does. Now you guys remember I did a master class at ITG a couple years ago that I entitled The Emperor's New Clothes, Gadgets in the Trumpet World. Yeah. And that's my right. the main takeaway from that, as I I think I did a lighthearted fun job there, was this. If you're using these gadgets instead of practice. You're wrong. That's just all there is to it. So the idea that you can just put something on and do this instead of practicing, it's not going to do it. Now, 
Are there things you can slap on? We've talked about this, all kinds of different things. We were talking about the bottom valve caps using a different material and tightening them different ways. These things can make a difference in your play, but a gadget isn't going to make you better. Yeah. And if you think it is, no offense, <laughs> no, no offense. shot. Not going to work. <laughs> no shot. Well, this one just really caught my attention because I thought, well, what if we are intensifying something that needs work? Well, <laughs> like yeah, that's the other this, part. It's not the tone fixer. It's the tone intensifier. It can make you really know that you need to work on your sound. Yeah. So uh, stop me if I've told you this story before, but years ago, my, my good friend, a friend of Trombomundi, actually, our producer on our last record, Brad Ginevro. Hey! <laughs> hey, Brad, if you're listening. Brad. Uh, Brad got me into playing golf. And so I played for a while on this really terrible set of golf clubs that he'd given me that he had thrown into a pond several times. And um, so I went and I tried out these two different sets of golf clubs. So I'm sure, you know, the guy at the sporting good place is just looking at me like, dude, whatever. You know, I'm trying to decide between these two different sets of clubs. And, I, you know, he just had to be there. So I finally looked at him and I'm like, look, do you think this, this set of clubs would be better for me? And he said, yeah, if you think they will. <laughs> that was his that was his the answer you know yeah they'll is. they'll help you if if you think you'll hit straighter with those then you should buy those right so <laughs> there's the there's a little bit of that too yeah. right like yeah. i think with these things i mean that's the marketing part of it right like yeah if you do this this will make this better if this is what you're looking for then this is your answer. For twenty four ninety nine, you can intensify whatever tone you're making. Well, yeah, I, I talked about this with a mouthpiece maker in the early 90s where I was really, really frustrated at a conference and said, what if I had you make me up a whole bunch of mouthpieces like a 5C range? Not something everybody plays, something so it's going to feel a little bit different than a normal mouthpiece. And we sell these and say, if you practice dutifully and use this mouthpiece... I guarantee you're going to get better. Don't you think we'd make a million dollars? Because people are, are not going to listen to the first part of it. They're going to buy it. It's going to be different. And then they're going to think it's better. But then, I, then I'd have a clear conscience because what I'm selling is the practice part of it. Right. Like you just did, by the way. And congrats on the videos. I know this will air later than you posting all the videos on the thing. But one of my the favorite part of that is at the end of each video when you say, now go practice. Right. That's the whole idea. We're just practice. We got to practice. That's the whole thing. There is no shortcut. Gadgets Beautiful. aren't going to do it. Work. Yeah. Brian, do we have any uh, cornet specific tone intensifiers that you're aware of coming out of the UK? No. Zero. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> Think it over. <laughs> no. We don't and do that. No. Beer, maybe. Yeah, that'll intensify your tone. That's for after the concert. Right. Well,. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, my. Hold on. We just got a whole new subject. <laughs> and again, it sounds better as long as you think it does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've, I've sat next to uh, lots of trumpet players that seem to think when they've altered their judgment in a variety of ways that somehow they, quote, unquote, really sound better. And I have mm -hmm. not altered my judgment in any way and have been very clear that they are wildly, wildly mistaken. <laughs> 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 It's a beautiful thing. Well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe to whatever works for you. We appreciate your patronage, patience, and perseverance. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.